fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. Your pre-Friday celebration, greatest day of the entire week. I am teetering right now. If you heard the end of the broadcast yesterday, we were struggling a little bit. I am I, I'm teetering. Mrs. Voice of Reason has had the flu and a massive infection for like two weeks. And I've been doing so well. I made some of my extra spicy, extra hot salsa that I like to make. That is jalapenos and habaneros and serrano peppers and chili peppers. And then some things called chiltepin, which are tiny little red pepper seeds directly from Mexico that are like hotter than habaneros. And I blend all that along with some other stuff. Not going to go give away my full Hoosier recipe, but I've been making it. I've been eating it, and it's been keeping me healthy for two weeks. Yesterday, man, it started hitting me, and I'm teetering. So I've been downing it the last day or so. I think we're going to survive. Nonetheless, we're going to be here. We ain't going anywhere. I'll come into the program. We have so much to get to today. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. We absolutely love you to death. Welcome aboard your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. There is so much to cram into an hour-long program. We have apparently some more updates from the Speaker of the House vote that will be happening Tuesday, Wednesday next week. The caucuses are gathering together. The question that I've been asking and the media picked it up apparently later earlier today was why have democrats been so silent during this entire conversation why did they not come to the aid of kevin mccarthy instead of trying to oust him and supporting the conservative movement to oust him out of the speakership uh, altogether so that is an interesting point and just like the kids when you have young children running around or young grandchildren when they're running around you know you want them to be quiet because they're yelling and hooting and hollering and fighting and screaming But then when it gets to be too quiet, you're a little concerned. And right now, the Democrats have been still. They've been silent. They've been quiet for a long time. And it makes me very nervous of what they're up to with this movement and what they're planning and scheming behind closed doors. So we'll get to that here in just a little bit. Yesterday, also, I did not get to the conversation of Joe Biden, which has been apparently out on the campaign trail trying to boost his popularity ratings, which are not going well because, well, everybody realizes he just can't handle the job. Joe Biden, you doing all right, buddy? Got to check in. I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. All right. So we have that. We'll get to Joe Biden a little bit with what he's been working on desperate trying to gather votes from the younger generation that are walking away from him. And apparently Donald Trump is open to the idea of a Speaker of the House nomination as he's set to visit Congress potentially next week. Say what? I know. So we'll get to all that and more on the program. So much to get to. And welcome aboard. Great to have you with us. But first, let's shift gears. I want to get to our guest of the day right out of the gate today with our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. And it ties right in, I think, a lot with the... uh, Student loan forgiveness that we're seeing from Joe Biden, $9 billion, 125,000 borrowers across the nation. As the young generation having their futures stiffed on them, so to speak, as the inflation continues, the absorbing of centralized power continues, the lack of American dreams are there. Even though we have massive migrants flooding across our borders because they see the opportunity for everyone, the streets paved with gold, the opportunity to be who you want to be and do what you want to do. 
Uh, outsiders see it, but apparently those within the country do not see it. And what can we do to get them back on trap? Happy to have on the program, he is author of the book, Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art of Science and Relationships in Life and Business. Happy to have on the uh, program, Joe Bracado. Joe, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Andy. How are you today? I am living the dream. It's good to have you on here. Uh, the big question that I think my generation, being a millennial, and those behind me are, is, is the American dream dead? Well, I, I don't think it's dead. I think the first step is to try some of your extra spicy salsa. <laughs> uh, I think everybody will be able to live the American dream if they just did that. Tony, you will never um, get sick if you eat that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. Yeah, I definitely have to try some of my own. Um, no, it's great to be here. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I read the article in USA Today about uh, Gen Zers and millennials believing that the American dream is not attainable, and I I guess I was uh, certainly surprised to hear that and, and frankly disappointed. Um, I do believe that as long as our great country is, is, is alive and well, the American dream is uh, certainly as well. Um, and, I, and I understand it, there are obstacles, there are challenges that uh, every generation, frankly, has. And if you go back to you know, the generation that came out of the Depression, they were just happy to have food on the table. And yeah. their kids were probably happy to have a steady paycheck so they can put their kids through school. I think, you know, the younger generation now, um, it's very difficult. I get it. However, um, you go back to the Declaration of Independence, we have this pursuit of happiness concept. And, you know, it's really uh, alive and well, according to our, our abilities, our respective abilities and our efforts. And I think younger folks have to, to keep that in mind and really uh, not focus too much um, they have to acknowledge but not focus too much on things that are not within their control, but things that are within their control. And that's, I think, where the relevance of my book comes in for this particular topic. Uh, it's all about relationship skills and how do you really strike that great first impression with people and then maintain that and really establish a very strong emotional bond because we need people to move up the corporate ladder. We need people to help us to achieve our goals in life. And in business, and I think if you harness the 21 rules in my book to master the art and science of relationships and life and business, I think that's where a lot of these younger folks can really maximize the likelihood of achieving whatever they define as the American dream. I love that idea. You mentioned relationships, and the first word that comes to mind is social media, because today I don't know that the younger generation, I mean, my generation was one of the last ones to actually have a real physical, personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship with people before social media actually took hold and took effect by, you know, my middle school, high school, college times when we finally started jumping on. But this young generation, Generation Z, for example, like you said, they've always had it since beginning, and their parents give them a tablet or give them a phone since elementary school, really. And uh, do they really know how to build relationships personally, one-on-one, -on -one, as some of the older generations, because of the fact that they'd rather sit and just group chat online as opposed to meeting in person? Do they know how to build relationships? Well, it's interesting. Uh, I love technology. Uh, I think that technology helps us become much more efficient in so many ways. Um, so it's a very good thing. However, it could be a bad thing if not used properly, of course, like a lot of things. And if you just take a look at um, what really creates success, especially in, in, your, in our jobs, if you're talking about financial success, uh, to be able to afford the bigger home, to be able to afford a home at all, uh, et cetera, 
you have to look at what some of the science shows. In my book, we really talk a lot about the science behind these very intuitive things that really build up these skills. And there have been studies done that 85% of our success on the job is based on our skills with people, and only 15% is based on technical skills we have and other knowledge, so basically things we go to school for. And with the advent of artificial intelligence, I actually postulate that that 15% is going to come way down because machine learning is going to replace a lot of our technical skill and knowledge. We think we're really smart, and maybe we are. Machines are going to be maybe a tad smarter in many ways. So it really behooves the younger generation to say, I I love technology. It's great, but I truly want to harness that American dream. I have to focus on what's within my control, developing great relationship skills to be able to help create that human connection. Technology, I'm sure, initially was intended to bring us closer together. But unfortunately, in many ways, it brings us further apart. Yeah. And that's something that just the younger generation needs to understand. And frankly, understand the science behind it. They are able to really develop these great relationships with people that they work with, maybe people who want to invest in companies that they, that they found, et cetera. They're going to be on their way to really achieving however they define the American dream. Yeah. Amen to that. I, I wanted to ask about obstacles, which you kind of just mentioned with artificial intelligence, to some of the obstacles that the young generation yep. has getting into the workforce, starting to build those relationships? Because the way it used to be was that you'd start off being the guy sweeping the floors and starting with minimum wage and then working your way up and building that relationship with the uh-huh. business, with your with your bosses, showing your hard work ethic, and then approving yourself to get better pay, to get your promotions and your work your way up the corporate ladder. Nowadays, though, with minimum wage so high that many companies, especially small businesses, can't invest in that minimum wage starter entry position, those are taken away. Artificial intelligence is making things more streamlined in the factory or in some of these businesses. Is that complicating the workforce for those trying to work their way into it for the first time? Well, it is. But, you know, like I said, if you go back to prior generations, every generation has had their challenges. So, you know, with the with other people, we can achieve just about anything in life. You take a look at some people that come from some of the worst conditions. Um, they've risen sometimes to the top of the, the corporate ladder. Uh, to the top of our political institutions. And I believe that if people get stuck in the technology too much, they're not going to open themselves up to the potential of really having a great network of individuals that they know that they can help them get closer to their dream. And so I'm a big believer in uh, personal responsibility, uh, taking control of things that are within your control, and really uh, working hard. You know, nothing's going to replace excellent work ethic. I don't care what kind of technology we have. I don't care how smart somebody is. People have to work hard. There's no way around that from, you know, uh, many generations ago through this very day and generations to come. Nothing's going to come easy. And sometimes, you know, we all, you've heard the phrase, freedom isn't free. And, And we have to really understand that and use things that are within our control. And I believe that the, the 21 rules in my book hit it off. Um, will help people get a little bit closer to their American dream. And people should be defining it differently. Every generation defines the American dream differently, but every generation has understood, and I think younger generations today have to understand, that there is personal responsibility involved. Nothing will necessarily be handed to them. Yeah, amen to that. How important, Joe, is it for internships, apprenticeship opportunities and programs with many businesses maybe or industries that are partnering with trade schools or with universities or even high schools getting it to that level at the early on to allow kids to not just have that degree, 
but get that hands-on experience at the same time. What is more valuable today, do you think, the college degree or the actual hands-on experience through an apprenticeship program, or are they equally valuable? Well, people can succeed in this life without a college education, that's for sure, and plenty of people have done that. It's very triggering, Joe. A lot of people don't understand that concept. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of – well, it's amazing, and here's what it comes down to. I I believe in internships. I think they're great, Uh, and what a great way to meet people and develop – really strong emotional bonds with your future employers so they can see your work ethic and see how perhaps smart you are and how much you care about providing value. And that's really what it is. It's about understanding that you're not going to achieve anything in this world unless you provide value to other people, period, and be a maker, not a taker. Mm. There are too many takers, unfortunately, in this world. We all have to strive to be makers. And what that really means is providing value to promote gratitude, promote gratitude. And that's one of the rules in my book. If there's a single thing that I look back in terms of any success that I have been honored to have, it's certainly been through other people helping me, but it's because I've tried to always provide value to people. And what that does, according to science, it actually promotes this concept of gratitude. People feel very grateful. And then that triggers something in their brains and in their hearts. They want to reciprocate. And it's a loop of gratitude, of provision of value. Yeah. And if people can really change, this is the big part of my book, people want to really change the way they think about relationships by applying critical thinking and mindfulness to that I interpersonal like that. dynamic. Joe, I tell really you what, no limit to what they can do. I like that. Joe, hold on the line here. we got to take a hard break. I want to continue that point when we come back. It's a great one. It's Joe Brocato. Hit, uh, hit it off. com is the website. Lots more coming up. Stay here. Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. We're talking about ways where you can get ahead in the game. My friends, the American dream is still alive and well. It's just adapting. And how do you adapt with it? It's hard. I may be a millennial, but I've told you this many times before on the program. I was totally born in the wrong time era. I I should have been born like, I don't know, 2,000 years ago or something. I The only thing I want to worry about is not being eaten by a pterodactyl. Like that's, if I could survive that, then I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't want to worry about all this other technology stuff. Yet I'm in the radio industry, so welcome into it. How do you actually adapt and actually start off your career? We're hanging out with Joe Brocano. He is the author of the book, Hit It Off, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business. You can find the book online at hititoffthebook.com. Hit it off the book.com. Go and check that out. And Joe, let's talk about it. Let's uh, give some tips for these young generation in individuals. If they're looking to try, if maybe uh, regardless of whatever community that they come from or hardships or challenges or obstacles or red tape that they have to go through, what's the first steps to get involved, like you said, and start building those relationships? Because I agree with you. I think that uh, success in life is not only about the work ethic that you have to put in that I think some have forgotten about because they just want stuff handed to them, but it's also about the relationships that you build in order to work your way up. And how do you start that from the ground level? Well, I got to go back to what you said about being eaten by a pterodactyl. (laughs) A lot of times I felt like, I feel like I've been eaten by a pterodactyl, but uh, there, there is life on the other side too. That's right. uh, No, I, I really do think that, that people, whether you're of a younger generation or any generation, frankly, um, we need to we need to change the way we think about relationships and 
What I mean by that is really, you know, the umbrella to the book, Get It Off, uh, 21 Rules for Mastering the Art and Science of Relationships in Life and Business, is really applying this concept of critical thinking. We've heard the term before, um, but what does that really mean? How do we apply it to relationships? Well, I, I kind of defined it in three steps. One is really communicating effectively, and that's a big part of my book. A lot of the rules are 21 rules. These are intuitive, kind of common, common sense things that we can do to hit it off with someone from the moment we meet them, developing this long-term emotional connection. But a lot of it is around communication. Second is really carefully assessing information and being mindful of the moment. And so we're acutely aware of what's going on with that interpersonal dynamic and responding appropriately to that. And then finally... The third step is really uh, being objective and leaving your predetermined judgments uh, or biases at the door as much as possible. And when we do this, we're, be, we're able to be much more strategic. So one example of that is rule number two, which is about planning to achieve goals in reverse. A lot of times we will enter into a relationship, could be in a work setting, uh, maybe an internship, as you mentioned earlier, whatever the case might be, it could be in a personal relationship. A lot of times we don't really have a really defined idea of what that end goal, that end vision for that relationship is. So we really have to start with that. And so, you know, th there's a concept in science called future retrospection, where instead of just starting today and plotting your way along to some nebulous goal at the end, start with the end goal in mind. Have an end vision that's very clear and detailed, write it down and then work methodically backwards from that end goal, from the end goal to maybe a week before you achieve that goal to maybe six months, a year, two years, whatever the case might be, to the present day, where you have an immediate action item or items. So you can basically plan this out in reverse to avoid going down the wrong rabbit holes. Because a lot of times mm -hmm. we just plot along without some strategic way, critical thinking way of doing this. We're going to waste time. It's going to be very inefficient. And at the end of the day, we probably won't achieve the goal that we want. So just changing the way we think about going about developing relationships using science like future retrospection will help us get there. I like that idea. I probably should have done that early on in my career because mine was, let's just jump into it headfirst and see which direction it takes yep. us, and we'll just kind of roll with the flow. And uh, it turned out okay, I think, but it took me a long time to get there. And, oh, by the way, a heck of a lot of student loan cash as well. We're out of time, my friend. It's Joe Bacato. Go check it out. Hititoffthebook.com. Go and check it out. Definitely want to see and read this one. Joe, we appreciate it very much, my friend. We'd love to get you back on and talk again real soon. We'll love that. Thank you so much, Andy. Hey, Take care. Absolutely. Great information. Lots more coming this up on The Voice of Reason. Stay the here. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Reason, common sense, rationale. Let's just, what we do on this program each and every day, it was a pleasure to have you along for the ride with us, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation, one radio listener at a time. Thanks again to Joe Brocato coming on the show. Great stuff. Hit it off is the book. Go ahead and check it out. Hit it off the book.com is the website. You can also find it on Amazon and other places as well. So, 
get into our latest uh, big news because this week has been kind of a blur and the news out of Washington, D.C. continues to get more crazy. We are living in the most historic, ridiculous, absurd, crazy, chaotic times I think I've ever seen in my life. So with that being said, what's trending today? I was pretty sure I could be wrong, but I was pretty sure that a while ago, the U.S. Supreme Court shot down the idea of the Biden administration writing off and forgiving millions and billions of dollars worth of student loan debt for individuals because the pandemic was over. Now, that being said, we're still apparently doing it because the Biden administration, well, just thinks that... Whatever, whatever, I do what I want. <laughs> I think that's what their mentality is. They're desperate for the votes. They're lagging in the polls. Donald Trump apparently, ten, according to Donald Trump himself, which of course he overinflates it because it's the biggest and best thing that we've ever seen in our entire life. That apparently he's up 10 points on Joe Biden right now and up near 40 to 50 points on any Republican other candidate. So uh, that being said, we'll see if he actually jumps into the race for Speaker of the House, which would be really fascinating. I don't know that he would get that if there's enough Republicans that would be okay with that. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Joe Biden has to do something to ramp up his game. Now, I've tried to go back and look through some of the promises that Joe Biden did when he was on the campaign trail which was, of course, trying to go EV. He's pushed it quite a bit. He said that he was going to promote clean energy, though, and with the coal in, in industry and natural gas industry. That obviously hasn't happened because he did partner up with a lot of the environmental wackos in the nation. Not saying that being an environmentalist is a bad thing, but being the political activist environmentalist thinking that we all need to just end everything and just you know do smoke signals to each other, although the smoke would be really bad for the uh, to, uh, for the CO2 in the environment and the uh, uh, the atmosphere as well. So I guess we wouldn't be able to do that. We just have to yell really loud. But if you do that, you're also exerting CO2. So I'm not quite sure what we can do other than like telepathy. We'll have to work on that one. But Joe Biden has jumped in bed with that fringe of the political party. He also promised he would cure cancer. Now, I've not heard anything about the curing cancer thing lately, but he did say he was going to do it. And he's got about a year left. So, you know. Snap on it there, buddy. Get on that one and make sure that happens. But the other big thing, of course, has been the student loan forgiveness, where he promised that he would forgive anybody's student loans up to $10,000 for federal student loans, $20,000 if you had a certain type of federal student loan. And the Supreme Court of the United States shot it down and said, nope, not allowed to do that because that is unconstitutional. You cannot just write off trillions of dollars of federal debt that you've loaned out when you're not even in a declaration of emergency any longer. They didn't get on the board too quick enough during the pandemic to make that happen. They just froze everything. And then it was kind of a day late and a dollar short by the time they pushed these student loan forgiveness programs. So now they're doing it in stages. And if you remember a few weeks ago, there was a uh, plan from Joe Biden. What was it? The SAVE Act saying that if you couldn't afford the interest, then you wouldn't have to pay the interest. Now, if you could afford it, you had to pay it. You don't get any special treatment there. But if you were low income and one of those vulnerable, victimized members of society, you wouldn't have to pay. You could just pay what you wanted to when you wanted to, and we'd be totally okay with that. Well, the latest as of yesterday in our What's Trending story of the day. What's Trending Today? says that Joe Biden has now written off another $9 billion of student loan forgiveness to more than 125,000 student loan borrowers across the nation. So far, totaling the Joe Biden Student Loan Debt Forgiveness Program up to $127 billion for near 3.6 million borrowers in the country. 
Now, apparently, I'm not part of the one three point six million because I've not seen my student loans go away. I still have to pay mine every month, so I have not been part of that. But apparently, other people have. So good on you. This latest one going for public service loan forgiveness, which we've already had. Let's be very clear. This is a political stunt because this is we already have had public service student loan forgiveness programs. If you work for a nonprofit. If you do a lot of uh, uh, public service in some type of organization, now, of course, those are just the accredited ones from the federal government, so you have to do the bidding of what they want. You can't just join anyone. You can't join some conservative nonprofit organization and volunteer and help out and expect them to write off your student loans. No, no. It has to be from the federal government's side of what they approve or not approve. And if you do that now, then they're going to write off your student loans after 20 years, which has already been in place. So... It's not really anything new. He's just trying to bring it back to light, saying that he's doing, quote-unquote, something. With that being said, I don't want to go down the details of the student loan forgiveness program itself because we already know it's stupid. Uh, You signed up for a contract to take out a loan because you wanted to invest in yourself. Therefore, you could make money afterwards and pay it back. It's a very common, very simple, commonsensical practice, and yet we have a generation that feels like they don't need to pay it back because they're victims and... The work market's not there, and the workforce isn't available, and I shouldn't have to actually work really hard to work my way up, like we just talked about with Joe in the last couple segments, that I should just walk out of college and make a hundred grand. And the fact that I'm not, oh my gosh, why in the world aren't you giving me this hundred thousand dollar job as an entry level position? What's wrong with you? I thought that this was America where we got to walk in and get everything we wanted. I'm sorry, I thought this was America. <laughs> so now we have. The devaluing of the universities. And I'm asking you to ponder if you really think that this is the devaluing of a degree. More individuals are getting their master's or bachelor's or whatever and getting a basic college degree and then coming out and thinking that they get to have the supreme job. When, in fact, now you have to have that basic college degree just to have a basic level entry level position in the first place. In many industries, not all, because obviously there's still jobs that are available without even needing a college degree at all. But are we devaluing the worth of college if everybody has to have it and now you shouldn't even have to pay for it? I mean, usually, again, if I get something for free, unless it's a really wild gift because people just want to be really generous, which doesn't happen very often in society. It does. But let's be honest, you know, people aren't out there, you know, giving away free BMWs to you know, people just brand new right out of the street. If you did, then people will wonder, like, what the hell's wrong with you? What are you doing? Why would you do something like that? Because normally, if it's free, it doesn't have the best of value. Not to say that it's not appreciated. If I get a free burrito today, I'd be totally happy. And I did, by the way, get a free burrito for lunch today. I was totally happy and very grateful and very appreciative. So free doesn't mean that it was free together because obviously somebody else had to pay for it. So if we're getting a college degree that's quote-unquote free, Is it really free and is it, quote, devaluing that as well? Because now more people are subsidizing it in order to get it to try and invest in themselves to do an entry level position in many industries. Then we go to the worth of college itself. Because, and I've said this for years, that the college itself, universities need to reform how they operate. Here's a triggering point for many, and I think the tenured uh, professors at many universities who listen to this show will be very angry at me, but I don't care. Here's my triggering point. You don't need the first two years of your four-year university to go through the same courses that you just went through in high school. You don't need them 
And it's stupid that colleges make you do that. It is a money gimmick, and it is nothing more than a way for them to scam you out of $40,000 before you even begin to start your actual degree that you want to major in. When you go to college, you should say, I want to major in political science. In day one, course number one should be political science 101. Period. End of story. You know, well, you have to have certain extracurriculars. No, I don't. This is not a, again, like a K through 12 public education. You got to work your way up to get to that point. No, no, no. This is higher education that is optional. And I want to go and I want to take political science. Therefore, I'm going to take political science 101, 102, 103, 104. Boom. Those are my four courses. I'm taking those. And in a year or two, I'm graduating. Done. End of story. But colleges can't make money that way. Then we branch out. And again, then there are the college degrees and majors that maybe aren't quite like where we need to be to actually get a job as well. Underwater basket weaving, although that's not a real degree. Maybe it is somewhere. I don't quite know. But that could be a real degree. That wouldn't really get you anywhere in life. It could be interesting. I could learn how to weave a basket underwater. That would be a challenge. That would be something that would be interesting to say that I've done. But I can't make a job out of it. And I think in our generation, again, that thinks that it's all happy rainbow sunshines and just whatever you want to do, which I'm all about doing something that you enjoy. Heck, I enjoy what I do. This is my living, baby. This is my career, and I don't know anything else that I can do outside of this. I don't know what I'd want to do outside of something like this. I enjoy it, but it's also a lot of work. And some feel like it's just fun and games. There is a new college degree that's actually coming right out of here, the state of Kansas, and uh, local listeners may may have heard this one as well, but there's a new uni- there's a new course that's being done at the University of Kansas. Now, for those that live outside of the state of Kansas, I want you to be aware that the University of Kansas is a very, very liberal progressive university to the point where they advocate for students to wear name tags that have their gender pronoun preferences on them. That is the University of Kansas. They are a very progressive university, not knocking them for those that enjoy it or went to college there. But they're very progressive. They now have a new course known as the Sociology of Taylor Swift. Oh, yes. What might seem frivolous or maybe a waste of time and money on the surface is actually deeply meaningful to people and it brings them joy. And that's more important than ever now in these pandemic times. Yeah. The sociology of Taylor Swift. It may seem like a waste of money, but it's actually very insightful because we teach about marketing. According to them, uh, the university and the uh, to the sociology professors, they teach about marketing. They teach about philosophy and they teach about ways to get your name out there and build yourself a brand by using Taylor Swift as the example. Now, as much as I don't care about Taylor Swift, she does have a brand and she has a very weird cult-like following across the nation where apparently we have to interrupt football games in order to watch her in the stands just make a fool of herself. I see the idea to want a brand, but is this what we have to do? We have to fluff it up so badly with pop culture for students to pay attention that if we don't, they're dull and boring and won't actually attend to get their education? Really? Crazy world, man. Lots more coming up. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. So I'm trying to think. I know that everybody has their own fascination with certain individuals or bands or, you know, icons, celebrities. I get it. We're fascinated by them. 
We always have that. We have that one iconic person, maybe the role model that we looked up to, the superhero that we thought of as a, uh, as a kid, the, the band or the artist that we really enjoyed that we just have to see. Trust me, I've had those. It's not Taylor Swift, but I've had those for sure. Mine are probably ones that no one on this program that listened to it have ever heard of, but <laughs> it's okay. Totally okay. The nice thing is that I've set my bar so low that it's easy and obtainable for me to meet them because, well, my bands sell out venues of like 300 people, and we're all jam-packed in there throwing around with a mosh pit and having a grand old time. So I'm totally okay with that. But guess what? I'm up close and personal with my icons. How about you and your Taylor Swifties? Yeah, yeah. When they sell out the uh, casinos and stuff, and you got ten, or you know, these big venues, fifty thousand people in there, you're not going to be anywhere near them. Just throwing that out there. So I get it. There's a fascination there. But come on, man. If I, if I was a student now, looking at going to college, and I saw that there was sociology 101, the sociology of Taylor Swift, I don't know. I got to be honest. I don't know that I would want to go to that university because I understand what they're trying to do. But, man, apparently in order to reach the younger generation, we have to relate to them by talking about things that fascinate them in pop culture. So we're going to try that here on this program. So I'm going to relate the Speaker of the House vote to pop culture events for the young generation. Can we do that here for the Generation Z that's wondering what's going on in Washington, D.C.? Let's do this, shall we? We're going to try to relate to it. There was a vote of someone who is Speaker of the House, kind of the head person. Let's say, like, the general manager of Taylor Swift, and they were voted off because they were doing a poor job and didn't make the promises to make Taylor Swift as many gigs and as much money as they probably should have. So uh, the manager of Taylor Swift was fired for doing the job. Because of that, we now have to look for a new general manager for Taylor Swift to look as good and tour around as make as much money as possible for the company that is Taylor Swift LLC, let's put it. And we're talking about numerous different individuals, some of them decent, some of them pretty good. But there's one in particular guy, by the name of Donald Trump, by the way, that is now apparently considering this position. And in fact, he's going to the Taylor Swift headquarters next week in order to pitch his idea because while, yes, just a couple of days ago while he was in court, said that he's open to it, didn't necessarily say yes or no, but just the fact that he had gotten a lot of response and a lot of calls and interest in it, that now he's going to make a uh, trip and a special stop at the Taylor Swift headquarters in order to talk to the rest of the management team and Taylor Swift about whether that would be the best opportunity for him or not, and whether that would be a viable option or not. And let's just say that Donald Trump in this situation would be, uh, I don't know, Travis Kelsey. For those that get that joke, you can go on about it. So Travis Kelsey could be the manager of Taylor Swift, which now they're dating for those that don't know. And trust me, living in Kansas, I hear about it every single day. And you want to know how much I care about that one? There is that. So now we <laughs> now we have the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift, and Donald Trump would essentially be the Travis Kelsey of the management to lead um, Taylor Swift to victory because now those two together between two completely separate entities and industries, bringing them together to boost up the popularity of both of them is beneficial for all to make lots and lots of money. Donald Trump, if he did that, would definitely be the shock and awe factor to be Speaker of the House 
and would definitely ruffle feathers from the Democrat side and I think would absolutely solidify a presidential nomination for Trump if he went in and absolutely cleaned House, shut down the government, and would not allow Democrats to bully the House of Representatives any longer. If that did happen, though, I don't know that it would make a whole lot of sense. And got to be honest, just looking at it realistically, I doubt that there are many Republicans outside of the few conservatives that would actually support someone like Donald Trump as being Speaker of the House. There. Did it work out? Did we use the analogy appropriately? I think that Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are like Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump right now in the speakership in Washington, D.C. Now we have an entirely new generation of young listeners <laughs> in this radio program because they get it. Oh, that totally makes sense now. Oh, my gosh. I was going to use Kim Kardashian, but I have so little understanding of her that I wouldn't even know how to use that in a metaphor. Oh, the times are crazy, my friends, and we'll see what happens. Apparently, the Republican caucus will decide by Tuesday next week, a vote on Wednesday next week to decide the new Speaker of the House. Then we can hopefully, knock on wood, theoretically, get back down to business to actually work on a budget and stop the Democrats from walking all over us with another omnibus package moving forward to pass it to see what's in it. Until then, my friends. We're back at it tomorrow for a Friday. We'll get you wrapped up for another week. Make sure to be your own voice of reason. Be your own catalyst for change. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.